a scrawny, underfed, malnourished kid runs through the decaying, decrepit alleyways of a long-forgotten, once-maybe-important city center. This dystopian reality plagues many corners of the forge, where once, perhaps not prosperous but self-sufficient, communities and cities and organizations have been taken over and made more efficient by various corporations whose monolithic outposts and headquarters dot these cityscapes. This young, poor, malnourished boy sneaks into a vendor selling various foodstuffs from around the forge, mixed in with a bunch of spices, and sold as curiosities and various ethnic cuisines to the wealthy members of various guilds scattered throughout the city. One of these stalls this young boy makes a beeline for. This young boy, who just is starting to have a couple various ritualistic scarring procedures done around his neck, which can be seen just poking out from underneath the filthy, dirty, torn robes that count as clothes for this child. This child has clearly done this before. With practiced and dexterous fingers, the boy is able to jimmy open one of the trash receptacles along the back side of the stall and reaching a filthy, greasy hand and extracts a container that some wealthy member of one of the various guild halls around this area just chucked away for being a little too spicy or maybe a little too bland. Either way, this young boy, this young Nikora, has managed to score a meal. Unfortunately for the young boy, it is firmly against city ordinance for scavenging of dumpsters to occur due to some vague reasoning of burning trash to make electricity or energy or something else like that. This young boy is not aware of. Well, he's aware that it's illegal, but the details don't matter. What does matter is young Nakora gets spotted, and after a brief chase scene through the city where he's trying to shove down the last of this disgusting, overspiced noodle dish, he gets violently tackled, hauled into a back alley, and beaten within an inch of his life. There is no real prison for thieves. There is no real justice for those who are underserved in this community. There's only those who have risen to the top and those who suffer below them, picking away at the various bits of flotsam that drift down from their betters who reside in the monumental structures that tower over this part of the city. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome back to One Guy, One Roll, the solo role-playing podcast, where I, your host, player, and GM hero, Cities, play role-playing games for your listening pleasure. As usual, we are going to be playing Iron Sworn Star Forged, where we are following the story of Nikora Sokolov and his companion, well, current companion, Petra, as they attempt to get Nikora's spaceship, the Second Chance, which is an old converted raider, long-haul space trucker, basically, repaired, and to get the virtual intelligence chance repaired as well. He got fried by some mystical, chaotic energy that we've experienced for the first time around this strange volcanic planet. And to get the actual theoretical AI known as Subject Alpha repaired as well, so that Nakora can finally accomplish our initial iron vow of returning the data core of Subject Alpha back to Creed, a character that we have not really seen on screen yet. 
And beyond just that, the second chance itself is on its last legs, and Nikora himself is not looking so good. We got a health of two, a spirit of three, a supply of zero, and the second chance itself is sitting at one hull strength. Things are not looking great for Nikora in the second chance. Nakora was genuinely optimistic about arriving into this new system known as the Aegis Hold, where the Brotherhood of Steel, also known as the Mercenary Guild, is known to control the area and extract basically diamonds or really dense crystals, where long ago a star went supernova and just left these really dense, rocky, well not rocky, but crystalline cores of various planetoids. Unfortunately, there's currently a guerrilla conflict. I don't know if that's the right term, but maybe a some sort of subterfuge operation is going on within the Aegis Hold, where these groups of raiders are currently masquerading as one of the noble houses, and Nakora and Petra and the Second Chance got accosted by one of these groups when they dropped out of drive space into the Aegis Hold, and were told that they were going to be escorted out of the system. However, Nakora managed to convince their squadron leader that they were declaring an emergency due to lack of food and fuel on board the second chance, which is actually the truth, ironically. And the squadron leader, who actually turned out to be a fairly congenial guy, agreed to escort them to wherever this group was operating out of, presumably some sort of supply depot or other type of station. However, Petra was certain that they were going to be killed, have the second chance stolen from them, and otherwise just have a bad day. So she managed to convince Nikora that they needed to do something in order to escape. And Nikora, being Nikora, came up with a great plan. Basically, destabilize the core containment of the reactor aboard the second chance, try and use that as a distraction from this raider escort they were currently dealing with, and then make their escape. Somehow, not only did Nakora manage to not vaporize the ship, but also got the leader of this raider group to believe him, and they flew off to presumably get aid, and Nakora and Petra managed to evade the other raider that was there watching them and lost them amongst the various fields of radiation and other stuff within this system. Unfortunately for Nikora, they did not end up running into a Brotherhood of Steel group, but some illegal miners who were conducting, well, mining, more like blowing up the various planetoid bodies and then picking through the debris that was left over. Their operation, which is illegal inside of this system, was eventually broken up by a Brotherhood of Steel Corvette, which is a heavily armed, fast, and agile attack ship about the same size as the Second Chance, and the miners were vaporized by this Corvette. Nakor and the Second Chance attempted to hide from this Corvette. They were spotted and were just told at the end of our last episode to prepare for boarding by the Brotherhood of Steel. Before we jump on back into our story, I did roll a begin a session move, which was our little intro. I got flashback reveals an aspect of your background or nature, and I thought it would be kind of interesting to explore a little bit of Nikora's childhood growing up. So I rolled on the action and subject tables in the Mythic GM emulator and ended up with punish and food. 
So that led me to believe that Nakora probably grew up very poor in one of the urban centers in the core of the forge. And that basically gave us a little more background into what the more dystopian, almost cyberpunky, but not core worlds are like in the, this version of the forge. In these worlds, unless you're a member of nobility or upper class or a merchant or part of the guilds, more likely, life tends to be nasty, brutish, short, and hungry. Scarcity is a factor of life amongst the poor masses within a lot of the forge, but especially when you get into the highly urbanized central core sectors. Since we did do a flashback, we do raise our momentum up to six, which is great. And beyond that, we have a couple of clocks to roll on, which I am going to still keep secret. I think our first clock we're rolling on is unlikely to progress. No, that one does not progress. And our second clock is 50-50. We got an extreme yes, which I'm going to mark two boxes on our pie which on this track is now 3 out of 10. This still feels like a continuation of the same scene to me, so without further ado, let's get into it. Obviously, Nakora and Petra are very nervous about getting boarded by the Brotherhood of Steel because who knows what they're going to do. They're mercenaries for hire... Even though they're one of the guilds, they kind of operate a little bit outside of the normal guild structure with their own rules and regulations, and they really do kind of clamp down and control their own areas of the forge. While, of course, they're wealthy, they're not the wealthiest guild, they don't control the most power, they don't really have a lot of influence into politics, but they are heavily armed and are always available for hire out to the highest bidder. They perform a lot of the conflict within the forge just because there's not a lot of population in general besides a few really dense core cities i think so mercenaries are used because sometimes they'll even have two separate branches of the brotherhood of steel fighting each other they're mercenaries that's what they do they tend to be restricted by their own sets of rules and regulations of engagement and they generally don't break contracts because that's what makes them such a good mercenary company of course they can always be bought off by a higher bidder or a contract will expire if it has a time stamp on it it's happened before where they've been involved in some big important conflict the contract ran out and on the minute after the contract ran out they jumped back into the drift and forsaking their previous employer. That's just the nature of working with a mercenary company. They're reliable only as long as the money taps keep on flowing. As far as Nikor and Petra are concerned, do they have time before the Brotherhood is able to gain access into the second chance? Do they have time? There is really only one big item they need to deal with on board the second chance. That is, of course, Subject Alpha. Do they have time? Given the situation, I think, well, instead of using our fate chart, what if we just attempt to secure an advantage that'll tell us whether or not they have the time to do it? This will be a shadow. They're attempting to hide Subject Alpha in a place where the Brotherhood will have more difficulty finding it. Does Petra help us with this task? Her background was Ice Miner and Noble. No, I don't think so. 
Unfortunately, this is all on Nakora. Our shadow is a plus two. Not good. We got a seven and a 10, and we rolled a three on our action dice, which plus two is a five, which means it's a fail. On a miss, you fail or your assumptions betray you. Pay the price. So, Nikora and Petra power down systems on board, the engines on board, the second chance. And as they're unstrapping from their chairs and trying to get down into the cargo hold as quick as they can in order to hide Subject Alpha, the airlock door pad on the lowest level of the second chance across from the entry into the box itself turns green. They're already here. These guys from the Brotherhood are well-trained, well-seasoned, and stronger than we originally thought. These guys are not to be fucked with. They are veterans of long conflicts, and they know how to do a job, do it right, and get it completed. They're like the Marines of this world. As this light turns green on the airlock control inside the second chance, just as Nikora and Petra are careening down the ladder... With a hiss of escaping air, the door comes sliding open, and six heavily armed and armored Brotherhood of Steel mercenaries come bounding into the lower floor of the second chance. Laser rifles shouldered and aimed at Petra and Nikora. These guys are badass. They move with the fluidity of a small group of well-trained soldiers who have worked together for a decade. Nikora and Petra are roughly thrown to the ground, face buried into the metal plating, as cuffs are slapped on them, and these mercenaries start to tear apart the ship, looking for anything that could incriminate Nikora and Petra as being part of these raider groups that have been harassing this system as of late. Naturally, it doesn't take these Brotherhood of Steel commandos very long to locate Subject Alpha, which is still just sitting in the middle of the box, or I guess you could call it the cargo hold of the second chance, literally right in the middle of the floor. You know, the big floating brain that's attached to a computer that's all powered down, just kind of floating there in its fluids. Yeah, that thing sticks out like a sore thumb on this ship. Beyond that, there's the mule in the back, which has now kind of been scavenged for parts in order to get the reactor back activated on the second chance, as we saw in a previous episode. And beyond that, just the general debris and detritus of Nakora's life. It's not a well-organized ship. Petra's been doing her part in trying to organize the upper living sections a little bit better, like cleaning up the kitchen, but it's still a mess on this ship. She's only been here for a short period of time. After about half an hour, 45 minutes, Nakora and Petra are roughly brought to their knees from where they were laying face down on the grated floor, the bottom of the second chance. In front of them, crouched down to look in their eyes, is a surprisingly slender yet clearly athletic woman who has taken her helmet off and revealing a face with a threatening scowl across it. Look, I don't know who you are, who you work for, or what you are planning to do with this heap you call a ship, but I demand some answers and I'm going to get them one way or another, so I suggest you cooperate. You have violated Brotherhood of Steel space and are now under arrest. I recommend talking, and talking quickly. That she squints her eyes and kind of gives a head nod to the cargo hold, letting the silence fill the space between her and Nakora and Petra. 
Cora gets a little bit of a better look at what she's wearing. They're standard kind of space combat fatigues with a, like a lightweight, really efficient suit that's designed for very minimal amounts of time out in space or at a side of an atmospheric area. But it's also kind of doubles as a hazmat suit and as a built-in really kind of rudimentary oxygen supply or filtration system for very brief exposure out in the void. Besides that, she's handed off her gun to one of her subordinates that is standing by. And on the actual suit itself that she's wearing, there is on her arm a patch. This patch is of a black fist with silver lettering that says B-O-S over the top of it. And within this fist is clutched a heart. And beneath the heart are three droplets of blood. Besides that, on her chest simply reads Slater. Nakora kind of sheepishly looks up at this slight yet imposing woman. Look, Slater, since that's what it says on... Anyways, it's been a hell of a week. We are just trying to get some supplies, fix up our ship, and get out of your hair. We are simple merchants traveling through the area, and we had a bad jump and ended up in a bad situation. And what the hell is going on around here? We were attacked as soon as we entered into the system by some group of people. She kind of narrows her eyes looking down at Nakora, and he kind of stops what he was saying, waits for a moment, and Slater just simply waits. Nakora kind of expected something to be said back, but quickly recovers and now we're here. We're happy to f- have found you, honestly. We were drifting along, and whatever those guys were doing to the planetoids, blowing them up, we're not involved with them. We're not involved with the raiders or whoever they are that accosted us when we entered into this system. We're simple merchants just trying to get to our destination. With that, Lieutenant Slater, eyes narrowed. Okay, let's say I believe you. You're clearly not associated with any guilds, which could make you an independent contractor, or it could make you a scavenger, or it could even make you a smuggler. For what it's worth, my men have discovered a little bit to corroborate your story. Looks like you've been through some shit. Well, you know what? So have I. Tell me about the brain. What the hell is that thing? I've never seen anything like it. At that, Nakora kind of looks over at Petra, who looks stony-faced and not really providing much support for Nakora and his story. My associate and I, Nakora says, gesturing his head towards Petra, are under contract to transport that brain thing. We don't have any idea what it is, but we've been tasked to transport that under a secure contract from the Merchant Guild. Dropping the name of the Merchant Guild, the lieutenant, still suspicious, kind of looks over Nakora and Petra. I've not known the Merchant Guild to deal with such rabble in the past. However, do you have any proof? Where's your contract? Those Merchant Guild types always like their contracts. At that, Nakora just kind of shrugs a little bit. When my virtual intelligence got fried by the bad jump we ended up in, ended up in a bad part of space, All details of the contract were unfortunately lost, along with a lot of our databases. You're welcome to look through what we have, but you won't find much. Lieutenant Slater kind of puts up a hand and motions with her fingers for one of her men to proceed up to the bridge. She kind of looks down at Nakara. 
I don't like your type. Something smells here, and it's not just the ship. Was Nakora able to convince Lieutenant Slater of any of this? We're going to roll a compel. And I don't know. Is it lying? I mean, yeah, it's lying. So we're going to roll plus shadow. We got a weak hit. Our action dice was a five. Plus two is seven. And we rolled an eight and a six on our challenge dice. On a weak hit, as above. But their agreement comes with a demand or complication. Envision their counteroffer. So we did get a plus one to our momentum off of that, bringing our momentum up to seven, which is great. What is the complication here? I think I know. Let me see. I think my idea is very likely. 54, yes. Lieutenant Slater doesn't offer anything of an apology for the way that her men treated Nakora and Petra and offers nothing, by the way, of compensation for when they were tearing apart the whole ship and littering the whole place with debris and other trash and garbage, which they've basically just swept off onto the floor. The place looks even more chaotic than when Nakora usually just doesn't do anything to organize the ship or pick up his messes. Instead, the lieutenant simply stands up, reattaches her helmet with a hiss as it seals around her neck, and motions for her men to leave the ship, turns back around to Nakora, who's still down on his knees. Okay, you said your name's Nakora. Here's what we're going to do. I don't like you. I don't trust you. But if you are under contract from the Merchant's Guild, I don't want to step in that shit. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to escort your ship back to the Aegis Hold, where it'll be under lockdown until I can collaborate your story. There you can attempt to make whatever repairs you deem necessary to your ship resupply. And if your story checks out, you're free to go. If not, and you end up being some kind of shady smuggler, some kind of trash, you will find out the meaning of brotherhood justice. Do I make myself clear? Any funny business, anything that you do with your ship that I don't directly order you to do, I'm going to launch a missile so far up your ass it's going to come out your mouth before it explodes. Do I make myself clear? Nakora, who's gotten back up on his feet, nods to the lieutenant. Yes, ma'am. Don't worry. We have nothing to hide. And Petra, who's been clearly seething a little bit this whole time, simply tilts her head towards the commando. And with that, we come to the end of our scene. Now, Nakora's not going to try any funny business with the Brotherhood of Steel escort. At least, they doesn't plan to. However, as they get resituated back on the bridge, Petra, who's been quiet, unusually quiet, turns back to Nakora. Look, Nakora, there's something I need to tell you. I cannot go through with this background check. They'll discover my links. They'll discover who I am, where I come from. They will contact my family, and they will come for me. And I will never see you again. There will be no hope for my sister. We cannot let that happen. My family will do anything, anything to get me back. Nakora kind of looks back at her with his eyebrows slightly raised. She simply shakes her head. Nakora, you just don't understand how noble families work. I did not toe the line. I did not conform to the expectations put upon me. I'm worse than a black sheep. I'm a coffee stain on their reputation. They will do whatever it takes. I guess I still have no choice but to trust you, Nakora, with this information. And with that thought, Nakora powers back up the second chance, and they fall in line with the Corvette of the Brotherhood of Steel and make their way off to the Aegis Hold. With this scene coming to an end, I think that, for the most part, it was kind of out of our control. We really didn't have a lot to do with what actually happened, and a lot of it was down to kind of chaotic random chance, which will bring our chaos rating up to 6. 
as far as threads are concerned, we don't have any of them that are closed. However, we do have a new thread, which is that Nakora and Petra are now under control of the Brotherhood of Steel. As far as characters, I've added uh, Lieutenant Eren Slater, who is the commander of that corvette. And other than that, I don't think there's a lot else to do other than think about our new scene, which will be aboard the Aegis Hold, of course. First off, we have to find out if this scene is modified in any way. We whirled a one, which is an altered scene. So what happens? What alters this scene? I'd originally thought the scene was of Nakora and Petra simply arriving at the Aegis Hold into the normal spaceport area. Let's roll on our action and subject and see if we can get some ideas. 72, arrive, obviously. And 99, anger. Arrive, anger. Oh, I think I got this figured out. So they do arrive at the Aegis Hold with no problems. However... As they have get their landing clearance and land into a mostly now deserted spaceport area, which I think is generally a pretty bustling and busy place with all different sorts of merchants and traders and other folks like that coming in and out, delivering supplies to the station to keep it functional while taking some of these various ores and other materials that have been mined out of these asteroids out of the system. However, as they come in and touch down, after a lengthy process of getting various clearances and okays from the lieutenant and other people involved, they open the door leading into the second chance and down a ramp comes folding out from the same airlock that the lieutenant had used to breach into the second chance. Waiting down at the bottom is a very annoyed looking lieutenant Slater. With her are two other individuals who have been assigned to stand guard over the second chance itself. However, Lieutenant Slater has been personally assigned by the colonel in charge of the Aegis Hold. It is now her responsibility to personally escort Nakora and Petra around the station since she brought them here. He was pissed. He was furious about this potential breach in security. So it's now her responsibility to make sure that they don't cause any problems on board the Aegis Hold itself. The Aegis Hold is kind of interesting. It is definitely a fully functional space station on the side of an asteroid functionally. Well, one of these bigger planetoids that has been all honeycombed and hollowed out. And as they were flying in, was there anything particularly interesting? Defensible location. Well, that makes sense. So these, uh, I think, actually getting into the Aegis Hold itself, you have to fly through these various worming tunnels that have been drilled through this planetoid. And this thing's big, like, I'm thinking moon-sized planetoid core, one of the biggest of the whole entire system. Inside of this hollowed-out planetoid, where this metallic, valuable core with crystals and all the other stuff that they harvest from here has been harvested out, and now along the inside walls of this planetary core is dotted with the various things needed to keep the station running, including living facilities, a space docks, spaceports, uh, refineries for refining the various minerals and crystals and stuff like that, factories, and a few other things like atmospheric processors and regulators and other things like that. That I think it's fairly common for all of the various 
slag and pollution and everything to just be vented out through the whatever remains of the crust of this strange planetoid, almost giving it this foggy atmosphere, but not an atmosphere uh, out around the planetoid itself, which really doesn't have any of its own gravity. So as we've established, the gravity is pretty easily manipulated in the forge. So that's what we're looking at as Nakora and Petra walk down the ramp of the second chance, looking up above them around this kind of almost disorienting slope where all of the various buildings are all the way up above them and around in this strange hollowed out planet. Takes a moment for them to reestablish your own internal stability with the way that the gravity is here. I think gravity is fairly light and the air itself is stale and metallic. As Nakora and Petra meet up with the lieutenant, some of the dock workers are just now installing these huge clamps on the landing gear of the second chance. There's no way they're getting out of here without someone relieving them of these clamps, without something happening. Either way, a clock is ticking. A clock that when it runs out, may or may not lead to the arrest and plausible execution or press ganging into some penal workforce of both Nakora and Petra by the Brotherhood of Steel. And with that, as this sunless, weatherless place fades out, our episode comes to a close. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to One Guy, One Roll. I really enjoyed making this episode. I don't know why, but a lot of the background world-building stuff is always the most interesting for me, especially figuring out how the hierarchy at the Brotherhood works and this weird carved out planetoid that we're now on of the Aegis Hold. I think Petra and Decor are in a pretty bad spot right now. I'm not sure how they're going to get out of it, but we'll play through together and find that out. Of course, this whole podcast would not be possible without all y'all listening and providing your inspirational comments and praise and all of that really keeps me going. I really am trying to keep up with creating content for y'all, even with scheduling being crazy and everything else like that. It is my goal to keep this podcast ad-free and free for everybody to listen to. And I am able to do that thanks to the very generous contributions given by my Patreons over on patreon.com slash one guy one role. If that's something that's interesting to you, please head over there and check it out. It really means a lot to me and helps keep this podcast going. It would not be possible without the contributions from the Patreons to help deal with all of the reoccurring, ongoing costs of hosting and recording a podcast. I would especially like to shout out and give my thanks to Journeyman JL and Journeyman Wes. Thank you guys so much. Your ongoing contributions are unbelievable. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. Thank you so very much for listening to One Guy, One Role. I've been your host, player, and GM Hero Acidities, signing off. Have a great day and stay safe out there, y'all.